Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. Welcome to another episode of the LaRue's Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, and uh, with me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. Gentlemen, normally I'd start with a little bit of banter, but honestly, we have someone that's way more important than you two. We have a legend in Canadian rugby. Uh, one of the best. Uh, I will go on record and probably saying that. 61 appearances for Canada between 2006 and 2019 with 190 points. Mr. DTH Vandermerver. DTH, thank you for so much for joining the show. We're excited to uh, harass you with a bunch of questions. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm glad to kind of share my little journey in Canadian rugby, I guess, history and professional history. And I think uh, I guess the more I speak about it or, you know, more Canadian ex-Canadian international speak about it. Hopefully we can spark a little fire under some youngster and maybe they get the itch for, for rugby. And, and that's all, all I really want to do is, you know, be able to give back and, uh, you know, spread my kind of my journey and hopefully someone likes it, I guess, uh, gets attached to rugby. And, you know, uh, that's what, we're, that's what we want. You know, we've, we've had a couple of uh, really amazing guests these past couple months. I mean, that's one nice thing about uh, the pandemic is we know that everyone's at least got a, a computer that they can uh, talk over. Um, so we're going to actually get right starting to the pandemic. Uh, and what has this pandemic been like, you know, for you and your family, you know, you've got, you know, young, young family and, you know, your, your, your time with the Glasgow Warriors ended and then you moved back to Canada. What has this been like? It's been kind of a roller coaster for you guys. Yeah. It's been a really bizarre time. Um, obviously the whole world's in, in the situation and there's a lot of people who's, you know, really struggled with it. So like, I don't want to, I would never want to seem like I'm moaning about my situation, but um, yeah, it was it was a it was a tough way to exit my Glasgow career, um, and not really knowing that that was the end of it. Uh, my I played for Glasgow in February. Um, actually, in my last game, well, the last game I played, I hurt my um, heel, um, which I didn't realize was actually a, a bit of a, a timeout injury that I was going to have, but straight away it was locked down and um, for the first kind of, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 weeks, I was, you know, training really hard to possibly get back to rugby. Nobody realized how long this was going to go on for. So the club was great. They gave us some weights to take home. We got a, I got a watt bike I could take back to my house so I could stay fit. 
Um, obviously, when the UK announced the lockdown, we were were tied in our houses for I think it was three months or something like that. So, um, but the thing was, April was amazing weather. Um, no. For those who don't know, but the, the typical UK style houses, if you don't live in the flat, you know, the old tenement flats, it's these old row houses built in the 1900s. So pretty much all the houses are attached, but they're just long. And then you have these skinny, long back backyards. Um, so we just, you know, could spend the entire April, May in our backyard because the weather was so good. Kids got a, you know, paddling pool and uh, trampoline. So we kept busy there. And then you get an hour a day that you could go out into the parks and then you try and, you know, just teach the kids that, right, we've got to stay six feet or two meters apart from each other at the moment. And and the kids were great. We taught my middle son, the boy, we taught him to ride a bike. So that was time consumed in that. um, and then for the older one, she's now seven and she was six during the time and, um, two doors down was her best friend, but they, you know, we could never meet up. And so he would sit on the other side of the gate to spare to bring a chair to the front of the porch and she would, and they would have their lunch, you know, six feet apart or 10, whatever it might've been, um, apart. And, and then on Friday nights when, uh, you know, my friend who works for Brewdog beers, he would get off work and the out. All the all the houses kind of backs onto an alleyway. Um, we'd go sit in the alleyway, but we put a barricade up so the, the baby, the two year old, wouldn't cross the barricade. <laughs> it was great. We all sit in our lawn chairs. We're you know far apart, and we had we was actually three families, so we were able to like spread ourselves away from each other and still have our you know adult conversations. And the kids would uh, just play tennis across the or thing or whatever it might have been. Um, so that was good fun. Although it just obviously we made the best out of the of a, a terrible situation. Um, um, and then eventually, yeah, it, it just it dawned on us all and the decision was made that the season was, um, wasn't going to go ahead. It was only going to be the, I guess, the playoff thing. So we couldn't, as Glasgow, we, you know, we were hunting to get into a playoff spot and we needed to win a couple more games, which we were confident we we're going to do during this, if it was a regular season, but they cut it short and, at that point in time, we didn't done enough to to make it to the playoffs. So, um, yeah, watch from afar the playoffs and, and Leinster, I guess, winning it again. And um, and then the decision was made to um, you know come home after you know trying to sell a house in the UK uh, during a pandemic, which is all the estate agents are closed at that time. So. Uh, we actually really lucked out. My wife put it on uh, Facebook Marketplace, put the house on Facebook Marketplace, and um, um, a doctor in town reached out saying that he might be interested and then figured out the house was too small for him, but he knew another colleague that was interested and they bought the house and uh, so- got the price we wanted. And And then it was all just about logistics, you know, trying to get when's, when is, I guess, um, when's the moving companies allowed to come into your house to give you a quote, you know, we did a bunch of virtual view viewings, I guess, for the amount of stuff we have with companies. And then, uh, but that was just, just found it really tough to like really show someone with your phone. You're like, well, this is a cupboard here. This is clothes here, you know, toys. Um, eventually we were able to find a company that um, could do the move for us. And then, uh, yeah, we packed up our stuff and uh, came back to Canada, which is, was yeah, quite an easy transition to coming back together. Yeah, and you know, 
while you were um, talking there, you did mention that like the last Pro 14 game you played was back in February. And then, you know, you didn't play another rugby game again until the Bermuda 10s here in October. And now once the 10s tournament has ended, it's now you're going to fire up in the MLR season in March. Um, So my kind of question is to you, and as we've been asking it of a lot of the other players that have come on the show as well, is just like what is that like layoff like when it's like excessively longer than any other off season that you guys are used to? Um, I think it's going to really depend on player to player. Um, and I, I would say that just because, you know, at my age, like I'm 34 years old, I, I've played a lot of rugby um, and I've had a, a lot of injuries over my career. So I think, like lockdown couldn't come in at like almost a better time for me in my rugby career. And I, like, like I don't want to yeah sound rude in saying it, but I just feel that it almost gave me a sabbatical from rugby, um, which was never you know an option because you want to play as much as you can. Um, but it, it, it kind of forced it, forced my hand that, you know, I can give my body a break and just to relax and recover. And like I said, I trained for that first you know, eight to 10 weeks, I was really like documenting everything. And I was, um, there's a few of us that had the Watt bikes and we, we started a Watt group and we challenged each other with different workouts on the Watt bike. And um, I don't know if you guys have been on the Watt bike. It's a horrendous you know, cycling machine. Um, my, uh, my workout regimen is not on par with a professional <laughs> rugby player. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's a, no, it's a, yeah. It's a terrible workout machine. Uh, and, uh, yeah, then, you know, once that was kind of out of the window, you, I just started, I said, well, you know what? I started talking to, um, to LA in March, agreed terms with them in March, but just because of COVID, nothing was allowed to be said. Like we couldn't speak about it. I, I did a few other podcasts and, and you know, people are trying to find out where I'm going, but I just, you just couldn't say it because you just never knew what was going to happen, right? Till it all gets announced in the media and all that kind of stuff. So I had to really try and keep that tight, simple, uh, tight seal, but um, I'm sure it was a bad secret because so many people called me out on it. <laughs> <laughs> it kept coming out everywhere. So um, anyways, it's um, that's all done. Body feels good. And then obviously the Bermuda thing came up. Um, was that five weeks ago? It literally came up my... I flew over there five weeks ago. It came up six weeks ago and it was great. Like it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So like, what was the Bermuda 10s experience like just as a whole? Like how did, how was, how was being part of the Miami sun? And like, what was, what was that just the whole experience there? Cause like, like you kind of said, like this thing kind of, even from our perspective, it seemed like it came together pretty quickly. And then like with not a whole lot of other rugby happening at the time, it was, it was great to uh, see a lot of the North American players on the pitch again. I think it was, yeah, I think the timing of it is great. Like, Obviously, everyone is starving for a bit of rugby or live sports. Um, and um, this, the owner, Paul Holmes, and his colleagues, uh, um, he's the guy out of America who runs Tiger Rugby. You know, they wanted to start this new franchise of Tens Rugby. Um, came up with the idea, and I literally signed a week before I was meant to leave. And lucky by then, I, I thought, okay, well, now it's time for myself to you know try and get back in shape. Um, slightly so um i started training my club club rugby here obviously non-contact james bay rugby um 
which we don't do very well. We're about contact. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, um, yeah, I started training that. I started just jogging with the wife and just trying to get a bit, you know, just get a bit of volume in the legs and so on. And next thing you know, I was off to Bermuda after a few couple of COVID tests here in Victoria, um, landed there. It was, everything was just so well organized in terms of, you know, the government there, you land, Straight away, you get a COVID test, you get in a taxi, go straight to your uh, hotel room. You can't leave till you get your negative test back um, the next day or like 24 hours later. Um, and then your scooter gets delivered. <laughs> you go with like one hour training each day. Um, <laughs> very loose term, but, you know, just it's you know, getting a bunch of people together from different backgrounds, different levels of experience with rugby. Um, you know, there's a lot, we had five tiger combine players. So these are guys who've learned rugby in the last year to two years, you know, so they're raw to, you know, guys who've played for London Irish, Leinster, all these kind of teams. Um, so high quality players. And, um, and then you need to, you know, try and form a team um, out of that. And, and you can't waste too much time on planning on what's going to happen in the game. It's more about just, you know, this is what it's going to look like on the field. And this, this is what we might be going for. Because none of us have played 10s before, except for one one combine player that actually played in the Hong Kong 10s. I'd never even heard of 10s. Honestly, I, like, I told my dad, I'm going, he's like, what's 10s? And then he found a YouTube link of Hong Kong 10s. And I was like, I've never even heard of this. And he sent it to me. And I was trying to watch it. And... Um, but yeah, it was great fun because it's it's a bit slower than the sevens, which is obviously for the freaks to to play sevens. Um, but this was more inclusive of you know you still have your props on the field that need to scrum, um, but then you still have your high your speed guys who can maybe make line breaks around the slower guys. So um, and then a few funny rules, kicking kicking rules were funny. Um, but I think from the outside it seems a bit silly the kicking rules but actually in the games it was really interesting because your mind just works in a way that all right I, you cross the white line you know oh i gotta all of a sudden i gotta run closer to the to the to the post to make the conversion easy well we did that in the first two games and we we're like boys you can only you just need to score the try don't worry about that like because the the kicking positions were laid out in like little spray painted areas on the field for different amounts of points. And, um, and then it could also bring your comeback so quickly. Like if you're, you know, if you're down, uh, down by 10 points, well, if you score one, one try, you're back in. If you can hit that, um, that kick from halfway and get five points for it. So I, I really enjoyed that, that side of it. You know, you really had to think there's actually one game we played against Ohio, um, we scored um, and we ended up going for a three-pointer. But all we needed to do is go for one point and we would have been 11 points clear, um, which meant they had to score twice. But we kicked for three, missed it. So we drew a 10. Uh, we were 20-10 we were up. They scored last play of the game, kicked it over from halfway and it was 10-10. Uh, uh, 20-20 draw. So then it went to a shootout. And the shootout like took... I don't know. It took 15 minutes because the kickers just kept making <laughs> kicks. They keep missing the same one, keep making the same one. So it's quite interesting. Like if you, you know, if you thought about things like that on the field when you're blowing uh, your backside, um, 
well, one point would have been good enough. Um, so, yeah, it was a good learning curve as well. So you weren't the only um, rugby player that was on an MLR team. There were a number of um, MLR players as well as you mentioned sevens players as well. Do you think yeah. with playing with these guys, it's a taste test for the competition of MLR that will come up next year? Um, oh, it's hard to say. Uh, I like I don't know the level. Like obviously, I watch some of the MLR le- um, games, and I don't. But I don't. It's hard to judge on what the level would be like. I think with the uh, tens, there was too too big of a variety of players. Um, now there's teams like that were able to like well SX10 who end up winning it or. Uh, Rhinos Academy actually of America was a really well drilled team um, it was stacked with 20 players so 16 of their players you, you pick a 16 man squad and they could roll on five brand new subs because it's rolling subs every five minutes or three minutes or whatever so that was really good whereas maybe with my team Miami um, you know we had a variety of different players with different le- skill levels um, you couldn't just do that because you have if you wanted to if you're thinking all about winning then you, you can roll on guys who just learned the game. But for us, our, our the good thing I thought about, you know, we had a lot of fun as the Miami Suns and our coach wasn't focused on, you know, purely on winning. He was there for the experience for, for everyone to have a good time, but also wanted, you know, some of these guys to have the experience to play at a higher level than, you know, the combine that they've just come from, the club rugby they came from. So, you know, it really gave the opportunity for everyone in the squad um, to have a game done. We had, you know, some of our best players were rested for for some of those games. Um, we always had to rest a couple of guys because we had two full-time injured guys out of our 20-man squad. So, we end up with 18 guys in the squad and only 16 can dress. So I think, um, you know, coming back to your point, I guess, of um, does it give you some sort of a taste of the MLR? Uh, probably not. But I think for for me personally, I got to know a lot of players that, that do play in the MLR. Um, so I met, you know, teams from uh, players from Austin, from New York, from, you know, Houston, from all over the place. I met all these guys there, um, which is great. You know, um, we all had, you know, similar stories, backgrounds, and, you know, there to, you know, I guess promote the game in, in North American rugby. And, and that was everyone's kind of focus. And then, you know, we're all, again, we're in the same boat being in, in Bermuda and, you know, want to put out a spectacle on the field and, you know, sell a new brand of rugby and, but also just for our own sanity, you know, get, get a bit of that adrenaline going again. You know, you've been bottling up all this adrenaline that you're so used to um, exploding out every weekend. Um, and now you're in such a great country and place to, to be and play a bit of rugby in the sun. So it was great. You know, uh, I think that's a good segue into kind of leading to what we want to talk about next DTH and that's sunshine. And that's your, your, your new home for 2021 and that's LA. Um, and we're going to start kind of grand scheme. Um, what made MLR the final destination for you? And, and were there other leagues that you were thinking about joining that you maybe had offers or, or you thought about before you made the decision that MLR was the place? Um, Look, I I had always said that 
I wanted to go to the MLR um, purely because it's a North American thing. It's close to home, family, friends, everyone can come and visit. You know, we've been in the UK for 11 years. Yeah, we have our family come, you know, my parents, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, everyone's come once or twice or, you know, and so on. So we get one visitor every year. Um, so that's a big draw, you know, to to coming back here and being a bit closer. Um, to be completely honest, I didn't want to go yet. Like I wanted to play for in Glasgow for another year. Um, that was kind of the plan and then do it the following year. Um, but then when I was told quite early doors, I guess in January, December, January, I was February, maybe um, I was told that, you know, there's no place for me in, in Glasgow. Um, you know, then you just kind of get on your horse and try something else. So um, I did a lot of searching around in, in France and in England, uh, Pro 12, uh, Pro 14, other clubs. Um, I had a few like nibbles, but nothing concrete. You know, I think the unknown of, of COVID was just so tough on, on the professional sports environment that people were saying, yes, we would like you to come, but we just can't tell you till maybe say August time, what that's going to look like, you know, which is pretty damn hard when you have a young family. Exactly. Exactly. So we couldn't talk about packages. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't commit fully. There's, you know, you couldn't sign things off. Um, a lot of teams, um, like I was really focusing on like Pro de Deux, which is the second division in France. Um, just trying to tame it down a little bit. Um, they didn't even, they didn't know what their budgets were going to look like because they were, you know, their, their whole infrastructure was hit so hard. So, um, and then just by, by chance, I got, I woke up one morning with two emails from two friends of mine, Jamie Cudmore being one of them and uh, Dan Harlow, who's in, I think he played Canada sevens um, and James Bay player. Um, and they said, well, they've got a few leads on, on a couple of, coaches or players that are places that's looking for, for Canadian players in the MLR. And I was like, all right, well, I'll check it out. And um, next thing you know, I was, I was on, the, I was getting connected on Facebook actually to uh, Darren Coleman, who's the LA coach um, who coached in Calgary back in, I think other 0503. I think, yeah, those two, um, he coached Calgary Mavericks and um, he coached some of my kind of, current friends, I guess, the older generation of rugby players. And um, yeah, and then I got in contact with him on Facebook, started Facebook Messenger, <laughs> like a couple of messages, and he gave me a call the next day. And and that was pretty much it. Like I committed to them straight away. I just liked what he had to say. And he's a, a very family-orientated kind of guy and um, sold me the dream. And um, I did a bit of homework about him. I, you know, asked... I knew a lot of players in Canada that's been coached by him, but I also knew quite a few guys that I played with in Glasgow that was coached by him in Australia. So I was able to do quite a few rounds with players and, and ask about him. And you know, everyone said good things. And um, yeah, that was it. 
so so it kind of sounds like that that LA was like the first uh, it sounds like they were like the first team that you kind of spoke to there so like what was kind of like their sale their sales pitch like in order to convince you to come join their squad like did they mention like what kind of club that they're looking at building or mention any of the you know LA they've been rolling out their roster one player at a day throughout the month here leading up to Christmas um so it was like was there any like talk about like hey where we have this guy coming it's like so you can you know, be able to play with him or be able to join the team. So like, what was the sale pitch like in order to um, lock you into uh, signing with the Giltinis? Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of those. There's a bit of, uh, you know, we're speaking to these guys, they're going to commit to, to coming as well. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me was just that, you know, I have an opportunity to be part of a club that's brand new, you know, really set the ethos of what that club, you know, lives by day by day. And for the years, hopefully, you know, 100 years to come, you know, who who wouldn't want to be part of something that special? You know, if you can be the first um, generation of players coming through a team and then, you know, a city like L.A., um, no, I've never been there, but they're sports fanatics. You know, they've got so much going on. Um, now, yeah, like I don't want to be negative, but it's like it's it's a bit crazy at the moment in in, in, in America and in LA. But um, I um, have two friends that live there: Chris Custer, who is an old teammate of mine, who's loving life down there, and another friend from from here from Victoria that lives down there, and they love it. Um, and I just thought, you know, we as a family have lived in the UK for the last eleven years. It's there's no lie about it. The weather is terrible, <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, especially right now, I watched actually, I watched uh, the highlights of the Glasgow game, and I could, you know, just see the breath of the boys. Like, oh just, god, like the I you just see know, the rain. I know that them. feeling. I know that feeling, right? Like <laughs> running for warm up, and you can't feel your toes till that adrenaline hits. You're just, you're trying to. People say warm up, and you're like, I can't move. The body is frozen, right? So, um, I just thought, you know what? We've lived long. We've been absolutely loved our time wouldn't i wouldn't change a single thing i did in my career in the uk um let's go have a bit of fun in the sun you know let's you know start we start looking at houses and we're like we can have a pool in the yard we can, the kids were like yes like we want to be on the beach like and you know for me it's everything's about my kids and you know giving them experiences all over the world and I've been lucky enough to, you know, have a kid born in Scotland, Wales, England, and um, not in America and not in Canada. So that's it's done. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I, I think it's just giving your kids that kind of experience of living in different cultures and different places is just going to, you know, make them more well-rounded in life after. So that's sort of the, the idea behind it, um, you know, with a, a good coach who can sell you, you know, what he wants to, what kind of team he wants to put together, um, what the plans are with the club. They, you know, we're, they're planning on, on really kind of selling the brand of, of the Kiltinis, um, um, making rugby a really, um, like a really a big part of, of LA sport tradition, I guess. Well, they want the team to tour once we're allowed to tour the world, you know, for preseason games, go to New Zealand, go to Australia, South Africa, go to Europe for preseason games, play, you know, play invitational teams all over the world. They, there's just no, there's no limit to, to the budget of where we could go in terms of, you know, experiences. So I thought I'll take, 
take that risk and you know i like what they have to say so that's sort of the reason yeah so you mentioned there that part of the appeal to joining the Giltinis was that you get the chance to kind of build the club from the ground up, establish the ethos of what, yeah. as you said, could potentially be like live on for a hundred years. Yeah. Um, what you've been a part of four world cup squads. You've been a part of two different pro 14 championship teams as well. And like, what do you want the ethos of the club to be? And how can you bring that like kind of championship winning mentality to the Giltinis early on in their franchise history? I think it's probably a combination of, 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 you know, finding the right balance between fun and hard work. Um, and I, and I, I'll go back to family orientated because I do a hundred percent believe that, you know, a person that's happy with their, a person whose family is happy in their environment gives you better, you know, um, action on the field or training environment or whatever it might be. He gives back more because he knows that his family's taken care of. So if that's for me is my drive is that I know that if my family's taken care of, I can focus everything when with rugby because I know they're there and they're taken care of in terms of, you know, the squad that they can bring in, we can, you know, set the standards of, we want a team that's just has smiles on their faces. Like when people ask me, you know, about their young kids, like how do they make it to the next level? All these kind of things. I want kids to laugh and have fun playing with their friends. And I think that's kind of the, for me is the biggest thing is you need to be able to have all that fun, you know, do team activities, you know, whatever it might be, you know, like you might be silly paintball or surfing lessons or, you know, whatever it might be. You have a lot of fun on the weekends when there's no games or after games, whatever it might be. But then when you come to work, you go, you go hard. Um, Then there's just like the expectancies of, of individuals when you show up, you know, like for us all now, we, this is kind of probably the biggest I guess hurdle for us as a, as a squad right now, we we're literally scattered all over the world. Um, and we've got an SSC guy who's trying to monitor, you know, guys who haven't played since actually some guys hasn't played any game since the world cup. Some guys who are in season playing rugby in the prem, prem, uh, premiership. Some guys who haven't played since February, like myself, some guys have, you know, had to delay their, their preseason. So everyone's doing a preseason away from the club, but we need to set that standard. So when we get there, that we're not failing the standards of what the coach is already expecting of us. So I think those are kind of the, the, the things that I would want, you know, is like, and then it'd be driven by the players. Like ultimately we're the ones who have to make the decisions on the field whether it comes down to plays or decision-making on the field, these things are, has to be controlled by the players, but facilitated by the coaches. So, um, and our coach already, you know, Darren Coleman, he's tomorrow is kind of our deadline for writing in um, plays or terms or whatever it might be that you've ex- experiences that you've had at your club um, or plays you've had on your club that you thought was, you know, world-class or was the best, brought the best out of you. If you can present it to him, if you bring video footage, it's even better. If it's, I guess, plays on the field, but you have to explain to him, this is why I want you to bring this to LA, name it the same thing, or maybe name it something differently. But, you know, he's really opening the door for everyone to have a part of this club. It's not just his club. It's not, he's not the big 
you know, he's the big boss, but he doesn't decide on everything. We all have a role to play in it. So I think those are kind of the uh, kind of little ethos things I, I like. So speaking of Darren Coleman, um, he's an Australian. Uh, the owner of the team, Adam Gilchrist, is Australian as well. A lot of the foreign player allocations and even some of the um, classified as domestic players have a lot of experience with Austra- uh, with Australian teams and have played in Australia. As a player who's been the foreign player, both when for Glasgow you have been amongst um, mainly Scottish players, um, for Scarlet to mainly Welsh players, do how do you feel about going into an environment which is predominantly North American and being the uh, local, so to speak, and instead of uh, being the outsider? Uh, wow, I'm actually really. Th- I've not really thought about it like that. Um, <laughs> well, that's a tough one. I, you know, I'm, I don't know. Maybe it's because of you know the lack of rugby lately. Um, like I am like buzzing beyond control to be there. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally look at the days and I'm like, oh, another two months. Like, what is going on here? Are we there yet? Like. <laughs> You know, you're on a two-hour drive. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> I'm DTH excited. is that annoying little brother that's in the back uh, seat. 100%. I am like, I, I, it feels like I'm going professional for the first time. Like that's that's kind of why, I, maybe that's why I haven't thought of it in that kind of sense that you just described there. I feel that I've missed rugby so much. I, I absolutely love playing. Um, like they're, we laugh, my wife and I laugh about it all the time, but, they're literally going to have to pull me with the wheelchair off the field. I, <laughs> I'll play, I'll exhaust every kind of avenue. Um, I just love playing the game. You know, I think it's such a great game. Everyone should have a, have the opportunity, but I think, um, yeah, I haven't thought about it that, that way. I think there's, there's a good mixture of North American players. And, and like you said, the Australian contingency. Now, some of the names that are still to come up is, so exciting um like i'm sure you guys heard the rumors i'll just leave it at that (laughs) it's it's gonna be it's gonna be good like i'm gonna like i'm excited to play with guys that are at the top like we're you know probably the best the best we've ever seen on the rugby field um so still at my age learning from them um but then it almost comes back and I, I throw a lot of comparisons here with the Miami team I just played in. You know, we had a lot of players with, like I said, we were amateur to professional. We had stereotypical American people who loves raw, raw, you know, getting pumped up by chip pump, you know, you know, pumping their chests, you know, like being really rowdy and loud music and singing songs to guys who are, who are calm, you know, they do their work warmed up but then when they cross the white wine white lines right they become an animal you know it just comes out so it's almost that you know you need to be able to control a team with different expectancies of players and find what's middle grounds for all of you and it's almost like i've had like a bit of a warm-up with the miami team um to you know make sure that everyone feels included. We can do a bit of rah-rah. We can be a bit more controlled, you know, calm. Um, so that's what I feel like it's going to be with LA. It's going to be over, but I've had that taste. So, 
yeah, I'm really excited. Maybe I'll be one of those guys just bouncing off the walls that they need to control <laughs> when I get there. So with, uh, with the unfortunate uh, departure of the Colorado Raptors from the league, um, you and your team and Dallas uh, both get to benefit from, um, I'm not going to say poaching from their, their roster, but you know, with the dispersal draft, you are going to be getting a bushel of Raptors. You know, you, you got guys like Johnny Ryberg, Mika Cruze, Nick Boyer, Blake Rogers, um, Luke White was just recently announced, you know, a whole, a whole bushel of guys that have not only MLR final experience, but they've been playing with each other for the last three, two years. Yeah. So what is that going to mean for, for your, for your team? Cause you kind of just talked about what it excites you about the Giltinis, but what does that mean having guys that one have played in MLR already and two have played with each other already? Yeah. Well, I think I would almost like flip, flip the switch really on, on those type of players. You know, I would, you know, and our coach already has asked these questions, but the guys who have played in the MLR together or doesn't, even if they weren't in part of the, uh, the Raptors, I guess, um, those guys can come up with the experiences they've had in the last few years, what's really made them win games or what's the tendencies in other clubs. You know, I think that's what's going to make a great team with Giltinis. So, um, like you said, that's about four or five guys that we were able to draft through the the MLR draft and um, I played with Nick Boyer um, in the Miami Suns team so he's a great lad and he's um, you know he's a like he's a massive he's like US fan of Estes I don't know you, you guys know US right he was a, he's tall like he's way taller than me he's like six foot two or something he's scrum half I couldn't believe it I was like does he what? have the best hair on uh, the he thinks he does he thinks <laughs> he's just <he's> stinking <laughs> but no he's a he's a great guy and then uh, Johnny Ryberg muscles they call him so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get into the gym <laughs> because this guy <laughs> is a monster can't believe it but I think um, yeah I think those guys is you know perception of the game in the MLR their experiences is something that we could lean on as a team because yeah like we're we're raw I think there's a, there's not many guys that have played in the MLR like obviously the if you're an American or Canadian the, the, the chances are you were in there is, is pretty high but um, I think um, they have a big big role to play for us in, in the season to come so I'll, we'll do one final kind of question on the uh, the Giltinis here and just Major League Rugby as a whole. Um, so this season, based on who has been announced as being signed throughout the league already, um, there's going to be more Canadians in Major League Rugby than ever before the previous three seasons. And a lot of that is also some guys like yourself that are coming back um, to North America from overseas. Similarly, there's a handful of American players that were playing overseas that are coming back. Um, how important do you think it is for Major League Rugby to be bringing in those domestic players that have been playing elsewhere overseas as well as you know at the same time providing a home for the guys that maybe haven't got that chance to play overseas but are now able to play in a professional environment at home uh, I think it's a that's a million dollar question right there I think it's it is the balance that needs to be found for every team if we want to grow the game in North America you know when you put a First of all, we need to put a spectacle on the field, you know, that sells tickets 
in the sense, sells TV revenue, sells shirts, whatever it might be, inspires kids, you know, to want to play. Now, obviously, uh, like I'll use myself as an example, I guess. I'm older. Some people might be like, well, why are you bringing an older guy back? But I have got the experiences, I guess, of, of playing in different teams, different environments that I can maybe, you know, maybe it's a couple of examples I could use with the Giltinis. Um, but at the same time, we need to make sure that we keep that door open, like you said, to younger guys, you know, so their kind of careers don't get cut short because of, you know, guys like myself or maybe internationals from other countries, you know, cuts it off. So I think that is the fine, fine balance that needs to be had. Now, obviously, right now, the squads are 35-man squad. Uh, most teams probably don't, if they're smart about it, I think they don't sign 35 guys. They sign 33 because, the you know, someone does the ACL, well, they're out for the season. Or even if they do a shoulder, they're pretty much out for the season. Well, then you can bring in, you know, that 32 and 30, uh, 34 and 35 man roster kind of guy. Um, I think over time, you know, the bigger the game gets, you know, the more gets out in America, I think we'll start seeing um, the squads get bigger, the salary cap will rise. And that's when it's going to be, it's going to be easier almost even to bring those guys back. Right now, we're really walking a thin line to, to make sure that we bring in back the right guys, you know, um, that can give something back. The coaches obviously have to still believe that you can give something back to the game, give something back to the community. That's a huge thing for me is, you know, like I want to invest myself. I said to the coach from the start, I, like if I'm coming, I don't want to come for six months. I want to be there for two years full time. Like, if you want to make it happen, that's the only way I'll come. I'm not coming for six months, going home to Canada for six months to do whatever I want here and then coming back again because I feel family, need to be settled, and I want to invest in rugby in the community. I want to be part of a club that, you know, whatever role it might be, I don't I don't care. Even if I have to show up once a month, as long as I can be part of that club, you know, my kids can come play there, whatever it might be, you know, I just want to invest myself in giving back to the community and be part of you know, the next generation. So if I can make one kid, you know, love the game, I'm happy with that. So I think that's kind of the, the balance that these clubs need to find. But I think ultimately, if we want to get to tier one level of rugby, you need to sell the game. We need to start at selling the game first and, and bringing those studs through that are, you know, are good enough to play in the 35 man, 35 man roster. And then hopefully and we start doing academies below that, and you know, then then it just grows. You know, the, like the squads in the UK, Glasgow is fifty-five people, so there's twenty more players to pick from, and you can you play fifteen on fifteen at training. So how good is that? You know, if you think about thirty-five man roster, at any given time you can easily have six guys on the sidelines for whatever reasons, even if it's sickness or just a slight injury or family issues, whatever it might be. All of a sudden, you can go fifteen on fifteen. Well. The best way to learn is going 15 on 15, right? Playing games is the best way to learn. So the only way you can you know, replicate that is in, in training if you have a full squad. So, yeah, those are kind of the, I guess, the stumblings of it, but the fine line that you need to kind of figure out. Now, our, kind of our last MLR question is, is there a team that you're fired up to play already? Like, have you kind of like seen maybe like a team like Seattle that's got a couple of your former teammates from, you know, the national team? Or do you look at like the Dallas Jackals and go like, 
they're the other expansion team. Like I want to make sure that, you know, we embarrass them to prove that we're the better one. Like, or even like, even maybe like the arrows, you know, being Canada's only professional team. Is there anybody that like, you're just like, yeah, I have like circled the date on the calendar. I am ready to play them. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably going to be. So personally, I'm personally wise. I think Toronto arrows. Yes. Um, that will just be, you know, enemies on the field, you know, friends and foes, kind of friends off the field. So um, playing against a lot of old teammates, that'd be great fun. I'm sure there'll be a few, you know, hair pulls or <laughs> squeezes every now and then on the field uh, with those guys. But I think from a club standpoint, it will obviously be the Austin game because it's owned by the same owner. Um, I didn't even think of that. So our owner, well, I guess you wouldn't care too much, but um, our coaches would really want to get the, the, the heads over the, their coaches and stuff because they're also um, a few of them are Australians as well. So um, I think that's probably the game that the club would look forward to, um, which is I think our second game going to be maybe that. Um, maybe I spoke too early there. It's Tuesday's the release of that. Uh, <laughs> so, this will be up uh, around the same time. It's, okay. <laughs> we'll release it an hour afterwards. Yeah. You're in the All same. Right, you're right, in the same that. conference. We know you're playing each other. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Do that. Do that. Do that. Um, but yeah, for me personally, it's probably going to be Toronto. Yeah, just being the Canadian, the only Canadian team, I guess. I was gonna say, I feel like uh, Austin and LA need to have like some sort of like trophy for that. Be like the Gilchrist Cup or something. In order oh. to actually, <laughs> hey, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be something. I'm sure. There'll yeah, be something. The, yeah, the Gil Trophy or something. We can yeah. come up with some names. Um, so we kind of want to dive into a little bit of the rest of your career as well here. And um, so you kind of you played in, in the pro 14 for, like you said, uh, 11 years. Um, you were the leading try score between uh, the year 2010, 2019. So leading try score through the decade, you won two pro 14 titles um, throughout that decade as well with the one with the warriors, one with the scarlets, just like what, what are some of like your favorite memories from playing in that competition? Uh, oh, there's so many, I think, well, the most obvious ones are obviously the winning those titles. Um, they're great. Um, the the semifinal, the story behind the semifinal of the Pro 12 final we won with Glasgow coming back in that game and against Ulster. And I was lucky enough to score the try coming off the bench. I just broke in my hands, my hand um, uh, seven weeks or six weeks, five weeks before that, and that surgery on my hand. And everyone thought, well, your season's done. And um, then had the surgery, put plates and screws in it and managed to get back for the semifinal. And Frank Russell picked up a crazy low ball off his feet and passed over the top and I scored. And then he ended up making that kick, which was amazing to go up at one point. So that's definitely a standout. Um, winning the league then with Glasgow that year was great. Um, two dope. Two, two totally different um, ways of winning it. With Glasgow, I just felt it all season long, just knew that we were going to win it. Um, even when we were down in games, I just felt that we were going to win it. Scarlets, um, we started off with three losses in that season, you know, and then with our backs against the wall, just scrapped it out, getting all the way through. Um probably had my lowest point of my whole career. I would think selfishly, and I must admit this selfishly, 
because I'm, I'm a competitor kind of guy and I want to play. I was on the bench for the semifinal against Leinster um, at the RDS and 22 minutes into the game, the winger for the Scarlets got a red card, which meant that, you know, we're playing with 14 men and there's probably no chance of me then getting onto the field. <clears throat> and the coach put me on with literally less than a minute on and I went on at flank to do one scrum and all <laughs> I had to do is it was our scrum we scrummed the ball it rolled actually to my knee I pushed it back to our scrum having kicked it out of bounds and that was my role in that semifinal we won the game at the RDS with 14 men but personally that was a low point because I just um, you know I just felt that I couldn't contribute to anything I just was sitting there the entire game looking at the coach of the unit give me a shot, give me a chance to play. Um, but then lucky enough, I got, a, got some time in the in the final and was able to score, which is actually my 50th uh, Pro 14 try in that game, which was amazing. Um, but I, all those things are amazing. You know, the accolades of winning a trophy is amazing. Like I, I, the only way I can explain it is I feel like you feel like a superhero. Like when that whistle goes and you've just completed that, I could just, it's so amazing. But I think in, in a whole, the greatest, greatest kind of feeling is seeing Glasgow from when I joined in 09 to now when I left in 2019, 20, um, just where it's gone. Like we, as a club, were uh, 700, 900 people in the stands when I first joined. We ended 11th out of 12 teams. And now we're selling out the stadium week on week. We've got um, a lineup for for um, people who want to become sponsors of the club. Season ticket holder, holders are queuing up you only sell a few you only sell a certain amount so it's once someone doesn't renew you can have it so those are the probably the, the things that you you know really want to be you know pride yourself on being a little part of that journey in the club's history so now we're going to move into your time um in the uh, canadian jersey and one of your more memorable moments is during the 2015 rugby world cup and um, the reason I asked this question is because I was also in the stadium when it happened in in Cardiff against Ireland when you charged down and caught an Irish kick to score a try. I was there and I couldn't believe it happened. I've watched the replays times and couldn't <laughs> believe that. But um, it demonstrated a, a level of awareness and quick reactions and for the next generation of Canadian players, how important do you think those skills and quick reactions will be? Oh, well, I'm not going to say that was skill or <laughs> obviously there is a bit of quick reaction of, because, you know, your ball gets kicked into you and you catch it. But um, I think I, I really lucked out with that one. Um, I didn't realize even I had the ball in my hands so I started running like, um, but it was more like, I think anger. Like I was, we were just, <laughs> I felt, I felt so confident of, you know, playing a good game as a team in that, in that game, we'd not scored any points. They just ran through us. 
Um, how weird, obviously the underdogs in that in that game, but you know that's why I had that all this anger built up. I mean, um, and I just thought, well, he's, he's he could have because I think it was a Keith Earls maybe was next to him or something, but he he did the kick, and I just thought, well, I'm kind of toastier. Like he, if he doesn't kick it, he's going to pass. It's two on one. I'm done. So kind of just went for the charge down, um, and it just happened to yeah go right in the tummy and and I went through and then you can see my anger come out against Ian Madigan who chased behind the post. So, um, yeah, I think that's a bit of luck, but I think for, in terms of the next generation, it's, it's all goes hand in hand with rugby knowledge, rugby skills, you know, reactions is all part of, of, of that kind of thing is, you know, the, the more we play as Canadian kids, youngsters coming up, you know, even older people, because everyone's development is at so many different levels. You know, how many times is in the Canadian World Cup jersey does someone come in at the age of like 29, 30, all of a sudden they play like Brian Erickson, Craig Culpin, you know, these guys just all of a sudden come out of nowhere and they're, boom, they're into a World Cup setup, you know. Um, Jeremy Kine was another one. And then, so everyone's development is different, but um, I think, that's probably the thing that we, we do lack in North American rugby is just maybe the rec- rugby brains through the awareness. So we're not used to, we play American football, it's blocking, it's one man, you know, you carry, you cradle the ball and you hold on to it. But um, I think the more we, I guess, get used to playing with the ball and better your reactions are going to be. And kids can just start, you know, be, how good would it be if you go down a random street and there's kids playing with, with a rugby ball? Like when I see a kid on the on a rugby field kicking a rugby ball anywhere, my wife's always like, "Go and speak to them. Go and speak to them." Like, like I'm here and I'm living in, or if you guys know in Victoria at all, but um, I live in Sandwichton, which is at the here at um, the airport, close to the airport, and. Uh, there's no rugby team here, but there's a kid kicking a rugby ball with his dad the other day. My wife's like, go speak to them, go speak to them. But I'm just like, I'm still a bit shy, you know, just <laughs> people, but she keeps trying to push me like, just go speak to them. Like teach a kid how to, you know, pass the ball or how to kick properly, all these kind of things. So you know, hopefully I'll get past that point because I think it's not, it's not a cocky thing, I guess. It's more like, you know, hey, I, you, you don't even have to speak about yourself, I guess. You just, Rock up. Hey, I play a bit of rugby. Like, here, this is how you do it, type of thing. So, and if, 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 a, if a dad's teaching their son rugby in Canada, they know who you are. They'd probably, I was gonna say, I feel like that's like the coolest draw. day of that kid's life. <laughs> well, no. that kid's dad's life. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? You just gave us a good little scouting report, and I want you to give another scouting report uh, because. Uh, right around after the World Cup, you announced your retirement from international duty, uh, DTH. Um, now, again, throw your, your scouter's hat on. Is there any? Are there any players who have piqued your interest to kind of be either the new custodian for your jersey that you held on to for so long with Rugby Canada, or is there anybody that you're really excited to kind of see? You know, I know North American rugby has been stagnant for almost half a year, but... Who's someone that you're excited to, to watch play for Canada? Yeah, no, um, definitely. So probably the person that comes up first is uh, Ben Lesage. Um, and obviously I played with him in this last World Cup and his World Cup was cut short with a broken hand. The kid broke his, broke his hand and 
in the first five minutes of the game and played the full game um, with a busted hand, couldn't grip anything. He is so tough, so tough, so skillful. He's got a tank on him that can just work, work, work. Um, so I'm super excited to see where he goes. Um, you know, I don't want to, I'm not talking down on the arrows, but he is better than playing in the MLR. Like he should be playing in Europe, you know, and he's got a degree already in engineering. I think, yeah, engineering it is. So he's done his schooling, which is for me, you know, youngsters out of Canada and, or even all around the world. I think it's a, the thing is we, we all have to remember that at the moment we still have a two career lifestyle that we need to run. You know, if you want to play rugby, you need to go hard. You need to go, you know, commit fully, but you need to be aware that we still have to have a second career. Like you come 34, 35, 36, whatever it might be, you might retire early because of injury or favor or whatever. You need to have another job. We are not the NHL. We're not MLB where you're earning millions. So that's the kit that really wears the hat as a model for for a young generation. You know, he's done his schooling while playing rugby, distance learning for a lot of tours and so on. So he excites me with his his talent, his level of you know his smartness and so on. Um, Theo Souter, probably another guy, fullback fly half, wherever you want to play him. I think we just need to decide or he needs to decide where he wants to play. Don't, don't mix between the two constantly because, you know, sometimes you just get caught in that trap of being a utility player and you don't want to kind of wear that hat. Um, especially if you get someone who, you know, really nails down either one of the positions then you're a bench player. So I think he's too good for that. So he needs to nail down a position. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of a winger position, you know, where I played most of my games, um, it's probably going to be uh, Taylor Paris. Um, you know, he's been around for almost as long as I have. He's still young. He's playing in, in France. He's, he's absolutely killing it. He's scoring tries for Canada for fun. Um, as long as he can stay healthy and, and you know, his electors pick him, I think um, he's got a real – He's really got a chip on his shoulder when it comes to game time. Like he, he throws his body at everything. Um, he's tough. He steps. He's fast. So I think as a winger, he'll be the guy who's gonna really fill in fill in that jersey. So DTH, we're gonna finish off here, and I, I've got one more question for you. And you've talked a little bit about this uh, during our, our our interview with you, um, but when everything is said and done on the pitch, when DTH is is in that wheelchair being carted off. Uh, by by your family, what do you want fans to think of when they hear your name? Because again, it's a unique damn name, and and I can say probably anyone that's you know consistently thrown around a rugby ball in Canada knows who you are. So, what do you want fans to think of when they hear your name? Oh man, I don't really know. I don't want to. I get I get emotional thinking about that because I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be in the past. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I just want like, I guess for me, you know, I, I'll always come back to being a family man. I care about my family and I care about my, my, my rugby family as well. So um, I might not always come across as on the field or in the, with my teammates The maybe I come, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, how do I say it? I'm, 
I'm really, I run, run things really hard. Like I speak harsh about things, but I'm honest um, when I, when I'm on the field and, and I expect high, you know, high things, like a lot of high things from, from players, but also from myself. But I think I, I probably just want to be known as someone who, you know, gave everything for the Jersey. Like I, um, like I'm quite disappointed in where my career ended with rugby Canada. Um, especially, you know, obviously through a hurricane in, in Japan and, and not being able to have that final goodbye, but, um, Everyone doesn't have that fairy tale ending, um, but yeah, I just want to want people to, I guess, remember me as the person who gave everything for that jersey. Um, never did I, you know, not try my best. You know, if, if I'd made the wrong decision, it wasn't because of you know uh, bad influences or whatever it might be. Like it, I gave my best every time, and I really wanted the team to do well, and and and. I know we haven't had the results in the last decade, I guess, for Canadian rugby, but the boys work really hard. We all work really, really hard. We try our best, um, but everyone else's game has just grown that much faster than us. And and that's sort of, I guess, away from your question, that kind of brings what my drive is past Canadian rugby now is to still make Canadian rugby greater and grow the game faster. So um, you know, I'll be, I'll be helping a lot of youngsters with the, the path, you know, if anyone wants to speak and they can reach out to me, whether it's on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever it might be, just find my email or whatever, my, my phone number, reach out. Um, I'm here to, to listen to any youngster. I'm not bigger than anyone. I want Canadian rugby to do great and I want us to grow and I want us to, you know, take off the notches of some of the teams we ran really close with and, you know, start getting some proper wins and really get the Canadian public behind us. So like, that's probably, that's my thing is I want people just to probably remember me as, you know, I'm out and out Canadian. I was born in South Africa, but I was adopted by a great country and I'm very proud to have played for this country. You know, it's it's ironic that you talk about how you want to, you know, change people's opinion about rugby and be a, a shining example. Um, when I was in high school, it was, you know, part of around the 2011 World Cup. And I remember, you know, my rugby coach bringing us all in and showing us highlights of, you know, your guys' games and you and the Phil McKenzie with your bleached hair. And, and now I, I saw it on TSN. They're talking about the bleached hair and the beards and stuff like that. And, <laughs> You know, you, you, you're so humble, DTH, but, you know, you really did make an impact on, you know, many, many rugby fans. And uh, I guess we're ending off the show by saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, I guess, sharing my story. Like I said in the beginning, I think it's the more, I guess the more people do podcasts and more people speak about rugby in Canada, the better it is for, for everyone. Um, nobody's bigger than the game. I love the game and, you know, I love Canada and I just want us to do so well. So um, if, if there's ever any opportunity for me to help out in, in Canadian rugby in any, you know, in any way, shape or form, I'm always going to be there. So, yeah, thanks for having me on here, guys. And I really enjoyed the chat. And we appreciated it greatly, too. Thank you. Well, guys, I, uh, I'm kind of still shell-shocked about that interview. That was incredible. Like 
again, I, I said it in the, in, in the interview, but like when my rugby coach pulled us aside and like showed us video and like, you know, I, I was a forward, so I didn't really have much, but he, when he was showing the backs, like how to play rugby, like that, like DTH was, you know, the first, the first guy to show on YouTube. Like it's, it's, it's crazy to, that we just interviewed him. Oh yeah. You know, I think, uh, th- there's a certain generation of, uh, Canadian rugby fans. I feel that, you know, like you said, it's kind of started playing rugby around like his first world cup or whatever that, you know, DTH was always like, you know, the guy, like the, uh, one of the more popular players on the team. And I think, you know, and kind of not only seeing what he did in Canada and stuff too, but like even what he did in the pro 14, like he was genuinely one of, he was genuinely probably the best winger in the league for a long time too. Um, In one of, which was one of the best leagues that you can play in, in the world. Um, He's, you know, the all time try scoring leader of the Glasgow warriors, um, which is, really cool just on its own it's a really cool stat to have and say you know a canadian player is the guy that held that and i think you know what i mean i think like i think that's kind of like a big thing it's like it's it is you know he talked about a lot of the reasons that he wants to come back and he was talking about how he wants to you know he wants to help build the game of rugby going forward and it's really cool to see like you know a guy that like you said played for, played for james bay the uh, logo shining brightly behind dan right now on this video um and you know, to enable uh, to have him be like, you know, he went and had like an unreal career. Like he said, like he's, you know, second all time behind Tommy Bow in Pro 14 tries. Um, he's leads a franchise in try scoring. He's played at four World Cups and to see him like come back to North America, um, kind of like, you know, where's where it kind of all started and, you know, wants to grow and give back to the game. Like it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, at this point, yeah, just wish him the best of luck in LA. And, you know, hopefully we get to do that again, you know, as the, uh, the season inches closer here, um, we got the, uh, the schedule release coming up. So, uh, we get to see if, uh, any of these games that he said he'd be fired up for are going to happen. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we get to see, see how cool the uh, the gill trophy or the uh gill kiss gill chris cup or gill trophy i'm trying to figure out which one i like better i think the cocktail cup with, cocktail. Uh, yeah. The, yeah they play for a giant martini glass <laughs> like an engraved martini glass that'd be fun um uh but yeah man i'm ex- i'm excited yeah lots lots of fun stuff coming up we got the uh, the schedule and you know i completely agree with him when he was kind of talking about that like i just want like you know feeling like that little kid in the backseat of a car yelling like are we there yet whatever when i was like see the mlr teasing that the schedule's coming out this week and you know perhaps by the time you listen to it it already is um or by the time you're listening to this podcast, it already is. But I feel like when I saw the like the little teaser, it's like MLR schedule coming out. I'm like, I know it's in March, but there's a small part of me that was like, you guys are starting in like, you know, next week, right? Like this is the first game. Gonna, <laughs> you're going to be like, you're going to come out. It's going to be Mer- like George Killebrew in like a Santa Claus outfit yelling Merry Christmas. And like the first game will be on Christmas Day and we'll all wake up and we'll open up all the, the brand new kit and everything that we got and sit down and watch the arrows beat Seattle or something. But I, I like where your head's at, Derek, very much so because I have watched I've watched every arrows win multiple times and I am dying for some fresh rugby. I've watched all of the 2020 games for MLR. I'm fired up for some more rugby. Um, 
yeah, this this week we'll have uh, the, the the schedule come out, which will be very interesting to see. Now, Stu, we're going to wrap this up. So where can everyone uh, find our social media presence? Well, guys, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify. And all you need to do is search for La Rouge Rugby. Well, gentlemen, that was incredible and uh you know hopefully next week in our last episode of 2020 it will be just as incredible